Would you open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1? And then when you've got it there, if you want to go to Proverbs, we're going to be floating back and forth for them. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Now, if you've prayed for wisdom, wouldn't it be great to know what wisdom is so that if God answers that prayer, you actually know that it was answered? Because you're like, oh, I already got that because he's answered that prayer. Proverbs 8 tells us what wisdom is. Proverbs 8, it's personified, and perhaps it was because it's poetry and it's didactic and it's great, but personifying wisdom, I think, is more than that, and we're going to dig into that. But here's who wisdom is. And we're going to start in verse... 10, and feel free to read it all later or read it while I'm preaching for that matter, but feel free to read it all. But here's what wisdom is, a glimpse of it. In verse 10, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. If you grew up in and around the 80s in a charismatic church, you might remember the song, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, That's, that's where that came from. I, wisdom, verse 12, uh, dwell with, together with prudence, and I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all the nobles who rule on the earth. And then in verse 22, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning before the world began. When there, was, when there were no oceans, I, uh, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth. Before uh, he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. Verse 28, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary and so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, there I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Father, would you... Give us insight this morning. That I pray that your word would be the lamp and the light that you promised, that it would extend beyond my abilities and capabilities, which are so limited, to pierce through all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Audrey uh, Cawthon is with us this morning, and Audrey was a friend since she was a kid very good friend of the Tyler family. There was a period of time in Audrey's life where she's worked as a nurse overseas and here. There was a period of time when she worked at a a hospital which shall remain nameless in a city that shall not be named for HIPAA reasons. Um, And she got to, I I think the way it was, was did you have like the clipboard and you got to come out and say the name? You know when you've been sitting in the waiting room a long time and they finally call your name 
and the relief that you feel, oh, thank Jesus, I get to go in. She, she was calling out the name of the next patient. And she looked at the clipboard and said, um, sh- uh, sh- Shady Nasty? And, and a woman who had been waiting probably a very long time and not in the mood to be trifled with stood up and said, you did not just call my baby shady nasty. <laughs> this is an absolutely true story. <laughs> and she's, you know, it's what it says. She said, it is not shady nasty. It is shadynasty. It is S H A. Comma, at the top, <laughs> dynasty. <laughs> I mean, anybody could have made that mistake, right? She acted like that was the first time that ever happened. Audrey reminds us that you can have all the right information, but if you have the wrong implication... Because that's shady nasty, unless you understand the implication of a comma at the top. Which does not print on a sheet. Which does not print on a sheet, in fairness to Audrey. The truth of the matter is, we live in a world where there's all kinds of information flying at us. And we can shady nasty it up if we don't understand the implications of the information that we have in front of us. We're drowning in information, but if we don't understand the implication of a comma at the top, we shady nasty it up. We can just go home on that. More think about it, that was pretty good. <laughs> It's over. (laughs) I mean, look, wisdom in a nutshell. You're praying for wisdom. It's the right information with the right implication, which results in a successful implementation. What Audrey had was the right information, but the wrong implication, which resulted in a disastrous implementation. And we live in a world where there's knowledge all around us, But in the words of the great American hero, G.I. Joe, knowing is only half the battle. The other half is, what do I do with this information? And more knowledge seems to only make us more confused unless we understand how it all weaves together. And on the other side of that, in our society right now, we live in a pluralistic society, which is full of conversation about moralism and relativism, So there's conversations, is this right or is this wrong? These are healthy conversations. And the Bible has much to say about them. But the truth of the matter is, the vast majority of decisions, decisions that you have to make, that I have to make, whatever you think the rules are, if you're a moralist or a relativist, whatever you think the rules are, they don't apply to most of the decisions you have to make. And so how do I know what to do? I have a little dilemma this week myself, last couple weeks. I have, uh, we sold the farm and sold the goats and sold Earl and we're kind of moving back to town. And 
But I'm in a position right now where I've got some kids and I've been driving this Nissan Maxima and it got a lot of miles on it. And so my wife and I were like, look, whatever, I had a little Kubota that we bought at a, at a yard sale uh, and we, we were able to sell it for $8,000, which is great and celebrate. But now what I, whatever I can get for $8,000 will be my car. Because I have the information that going to a bank and signing a loan is not good, you know, I'm sorry, you know, servant to the lender and all that stuff. So I have all that information. And what I wanted to go buy with my $8,000 was a Jeep Wrangler. (sighs) Because I had some good information on a Jeep Wrangler, starting with, they're cool. (laughs) And I noticed that there's a hole in my logic. Now, I actually used to be a Jeep guy. And you know, any Jeep people in here... You know what happens when you get the Jeep. You see the people with the Jeep, what do you do? Wave. It's the Jeep wave. If you didn't know that's going on, that's happening right under your nose right now in America. <laughs> so I was a Jeep guy. I had the Jeep, and I'm driving around giving the Jeep wave. And I got rid of the Jeep in the year 2000 or 2001. I don't remember which year it was. And I bought the preferred car of a senior citizen men and bleach blonde 70-year-old uh, female real estate agents from Brentwood, the Lexus ES300. And the reason is because old people know what they're doing. Those cars are super comfortable. This was back in 2000. Um, but then what happened after getting rid of the Jeep was I, for almost a year, I'd drive by and give the Jeep wave. <laughs> I was telling him, I just want him to wave again. That's all I want. I just want to be a part of the something, you know, be part, wave at me. So when I'm thinking about the Jeep, I'm not necessarily thinking in, in the right mind. But the truth is I could have bought a Jeep and it would have been morally right. It's not a sin to buy a Jeep. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But is it wise for a 45-year-old man with four kids who occasionally needs to make a dump run to tow something? Who needs? Is it wise? And so after all of that, I decided that looking at I could get an SUV with maybe higher mileage but dependable. And the point being this, I'm I'm really making this a lot longer than it needed to be. The story is is that you you guys are facing decisions like I'm facing that have nothing to do with right or wrong, and nothing to do with getting any more information. I know Jeeps are a money trap. I know every time I called an ad on Craigslist, it was a 17-year-old kid who was answering. Because that's you know. If you got the rough country lift on it, you know, you're, <laughs> you don't have a job. Or, I mean, you don't have anything, any responsibility. You just spend all your money on the Jeep. So I needed to make a decision that was wise. And in your lives and in my lives right now, I bet that there are decisions, whether it's your business, whether it's a relationship, and you just need to know what to do. And the Bible has a lot to say about morals and what's right and what's wrong. And the Bible has a lot to say about knowledge, but the Bible has even more to say about wisdom itself. What I hope in our few minutes we have remaining, that you can walk away with what Proverbs is going to answer for us. If you've been praying for wisdom in a very specific situation, I want to show you what the Bible says about what wisdom is. This is what you've been praying for, about the value of wisdom. And answer the question of why has wisdom got to be so hard? And then what is the solution? And that is all in verses 10 through 16 and 22 through 31 of the book of Proverbs chapter 8. And let's start with just the value of it. I feel like we made a good case last week. And if you're suffering from any sort of an analysis paralysis and you're scared of screwing it up, and I, don't, I would encourage you to listen to last week. 
I started there because I wanted there to be a foundation of peace of how good God is at taking all of the broken pieces of our life and making something beautiful out of it. But the value of it is what he says. What more than gold, more than jewels. More. Now, let's be really, really honest. I don't like that because I'd rather be rich and I'd rather be famous and I'd rather be powerful. I'd rather win the lottery. And I've seen all the information. I know that winning the lottery ruins your life, but I'm not going to take a chance at it. Let me ruin my life that way. If you're going to ruin it, might as well do it in a nice Jeep. <laughs> but the Bible is right. And why is it right that, that literally it's more valuable than all of those things? Have you watched VH1 Behind the Music? Lately, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's the same story every time. I got rich, I was famous, I had everything I always wanted, and my life sucked. Which is the exact opposite of someone living in poverty who has been oppressed and never got anything they ever wanted, and my life sucked. The result is the same if you don't have wisdom in the middle of it. You can have your life turn out, I don't know, anybody in here, raise your hand if it was you, that your life turned out exactly like you thought it was going to? Anyone? Hope. <laughs> How old are you, Hope? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> Hope's crushing it. <laughs> I'm about to ruin your Cheerios this morning, honey, so you might want to go get some coffee. Nobody's life turned out the way. Not, you know what I'm saying? After you get a little bit more than 12 years behind you, Life sucker punches you. Because we live in a Genesis 3 world, not a Genesis 2 world. And you know that if anybody in this room would have said, yeah, it actually did turn out exactly the way I wanted, it didn't stay that way. And so the wisdom, the reason it's so valuable is that when life is throwing punches at you, when your life didn't turn out the way you wanted, that you still know how to handle it. But what Solomon is saying is that this is, it's more valuable because I know how to handle this situation whatever life throws at me, that I can grow and I can flourish because of wisdom. And wisdom that he is describing, the definition is verse 12, 13, 15, and 16. I wisdom dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion and the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign. By uh, me, the rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. If you're asking for wisdom and you thought it was going to be an aha moment, let's, let's be honest, isn't that what I, I thought it was? I just ask and now, now I just suddenly I know. I woke up and now I know what to do. I don't know that that's how it, it's supposed to work out. I know that it's not how it's worked out for me. And I know that many times when we're in that situation, when the wisdom comes to us, we miss it because we thought it was going to be an aha moment, not a journey that we were going to be on. He says this, by the way, that wisdom, there's a couple of words here he uses. Insight is one of those words. And all that word is, it means just knowing how things really work. If you have insight into this, I know how things are. And he uses the word Prudence. I don't know if that's the best translation, but the word prudence simply means that I know uh, how things 
are and I know how things work and I have insight into those things. Uh, Adrian was here in the first service. She's a detective with Brentwood Police Department. If, if I walk into a, a house that was turned over and robbed and whatever, I see a giant mess. He sees clues because he has insight into that. And that's what wisdom is, is it says, hey, this is the right information. I know how things are and I also know how things work. I have prudence. And then it says, and when you know that, then that's how kings rule and princes and you and I, we know, I know how things are, I know how things work, and I know what to do about it. That's wisdom, and that's it. It's as simple as that. It's the right information. It's the right implication for a successful implementation. Right information, right implication, successful implementation, and I hate that. I'd like to make it more complicated than that. But the Bible says if you're praying for it, that's what it is. And the aha moment hasn't come because I don't believe that's what he promised. Think about the areas that you have become wise in. Are there things, are there or are there not things that you know now, if you're 45 like me, that you thought the exact opposite of when you were 20? I mean, there were things I was convinced of. But you know what happened? Life happened. And I gained wisdom from it. And I prayed for wisdom along the way. God, what should I do here? What should I do there? And I made decisions that at the time seemed really stupid and turned out to be wise. And I made some decisions I thought were wise that turned out to be stupid. And you know what I learned? I learned what wisdom was. I learned that 40 years of Moses sitting in Egypt probably thought he had it made, didn't he? But what he learned 40 years in Egypt, God could have, let's think about it, God could have sat Moses down with a whiteboard and said, here's Pharaoh, here's, what, here's how it's going to work, here's, gonna, here's, what the, here's how Egyptians think, here's how you're going to have to overcome this. Instead, he gave them 40 years inside their culture to understand. And that's how he got the wisdom to understand. This is how Pharaoh's going to respond. When God told him, write this down, he could because he spent 40 years in a culture that invented papyrus, written language. God was just preparing. He gave him wisdom that way. Could God have written stuff himself? Absolutely. He did when he gave the Ten Commandments. He put them on stone and he wrote them. But the rest of it Moses had to write and he learned it in a moment where he thought he was stuck. But in reality, he was just being positioned. And that's what wisdom was teaching him. He would spend the next 40 years leading uh, a bunch of sheep through a wilderness, through a desert. Could God have given him a map? Sure. But what Moses got was he learned that desert like the back of his hand, and he learned how sheep think, which parenthetically is not unlike how humans think. And so when God told him to go into this desert, Moses didn't need a map. He already knew where he was going. What he needed wisdom for was when to go, not how to go. The wisdom where you are right now and you think God's not answering, I believe that he is answering, but he's not giving you the aha moment. He's taking you on a journey that sometime you're going to look back and say, oh, I get it now. Wisdom, right information, right implication, successful implementation. And he goes on in verse 22 because you and I both know that there's kind of a problem here with wisdom. Because some of us 
I don't have 40 years to figure out whether I should buy the Jeep. Now, I had more than the four minutes that I thought I had, but you know what I'm saying. Somewhere between, you don't have 40 years to figure out whether you should marry this guy or not. You don't have 40 years to figure out which college your kids should go to. There's a problem because your business is suffering and there's finances on the line. I don't, do I do this job or not? Do I, I need it now. And the problem is, is that he shows it right here, that the Lord, verse 22, possessed me at the beginning of the work, at the beginning of the work in his first acts of old. And what he begins to unfold here, this is unique to the Bible account of creation. In the days of old, there were two different types of creation accounts. One of them was like Western, which was that uh, gods were warring over it, and then on the dead body of this god that was defeated, I created the earth. It was over a war. Eastern, Hindu, Buddhist, would say that this earth is actually an illusion, and the reality is the spirit world, so this isn't even a real world. The Bible stands alone uniquely, saying that the earth was not created as an accident, but on purpose and with wisdom. And in the creation of the earth, are patterns. Quantum physics teaches us that. That there are patterns and there are laws and there are rules. Arrow, you, you know what? You, uh, every time you get in a plane, you are playing uh, with one of the rules of this earth. The laws of aerodynamics. If you disobey those rules, it goes poorly for you. But if you're obeying that pattern, it works. Now the problem is Many of the sages, by the way, the Israeli sages, Israel sages especially, would say that that's it. If you do this, this happens. And so those patterns that we see in science and in nature that we see in relationships, if you do this, then this will happen. And if you've been married for any length of time, you know that isn't true. Not always. You know that in your marriage situation, you could have the right information and the wrong implication, and you're on the couch You know it's true. And you know that there are times you had the right information, guys, give me an amen, and the right information, and it was a night you never forgot. And you think, I've got to figure out how to do that again, but I don't know how it even happened. <laughs> if I could reverse engineer how we got there, we'd, that would be every day. I'm married 22 years in December. And I almost weekly, if not daily, will encounter a situation that my wife will react in a way that I thought I had no idea that was what she was going to do. That is not at all what I thought she was going to say there. It's like literally like suspense is killing me. How is she going to respond to that? <laughs> because it doesn't follow the pattern. I want to show you something in Proverbs that I think is pretty exciting. I hope you find it exciting and helpful. Because the way that we read Proverbs is we tweet Proverbs. Do you know what I'm saying? Little pithy, short, smart things to say, and they work great in 140 characters or less. And so we try to live by the Proverbs that way. That's not how the book was written, and it's certainly not how it was intended to be read. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are the introduction. And by chapter 10 is where you start seeing those ones that we just love, the pithy. If you raise up a child in the way they will go, then they're old, they won't depart from it. If you are lazy, you'll be poor. If you work hard, you'll be rich. Chapters 10 through 15 are those proverbs. You do this and this will happen, the patterns. And if you're a conservative, 
if you are bent towards that personality-wise, you read chapters 10 through 15 and you say, that's so true. That's exactly how it is. And then chapter 16 happens. And these are the exceptions to the rules. You could work really hard, but you could be oppressed and still be poor. You raised your child exactly like you were supposed to, and when they, were, they turned out to be jerks and posted stuff on Facebook that embarrassed you. It didn't. So chapter 16 through 20, 20, you look at that, and if you're more of a liberal bent, you're like, that's totally right. There are no absolutes in this way. Everything's up for grabs, and it's all about doubting and questioning. But the book of Proverbs was never meant to be studied like that, to pull one out and to just grab onto that one. It's meant to be read. It was written, some historians think, for young male students in Israel to read as a whole, to sit in a group, and to discuss as a group with wiser people saying, see, now that's going to happen, but sometimes it's gonna, you're going to get sucker punched, and sometimes this is true, and sometimes this... It was meant to be read in such a way which I think the Bible, I love the Bible because it's so unique in that it speaks to the way that life really is, not the way that I want it to be. Because sometimes you did a great job raising your kid and they were an idiot when they grew up and sometimes you did a terrible job of raising, I mean, I was raised by poodles. And it, it worked out for some reason. My mom, when I say free-ranged me, I mean shut the door, locked it, and I'll see you tonight, free range. Now, as a parent, I'm thinking, not a bad idea. But it turned out okay because sometimes the rules there... No, understand what I am not saying. There are moral things that the Bible speaks of that are not negotiable, that are not relative. Murder, always wrong. Okay? There are things that if you and I, we talk long enough, you would say, I agree that there are things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong. But in a Genesis 3 world... You could find yourself in a situation where you see somebody's life going bad and you could be like one of Job's friends. Job's friends definitely liked chapters 10 through 15 because Job's life had fallen apart and if chapter 10 through 15, well, look, you, you, did, you must be sinning because your life sucked. So you must need to repent and what did God say to them? Go sit in a corner in sackcloth and ashes and think about what you've said. Because there's chapter 16 of Proverbs that has to be dealt with. So you could literally be a wise fool, a conservative fool, sorry, and you could be a liberal fool because on either side of those, if you say, well, look, I can just live however I want to and not have to worry about any of the consequences, you're a liberal fool. On the other hand, if you say, look, this is just, uh, this is how it is and if you weren't doing this, then that's exactly God's punishing you, then you're a conservative fool. And we need wisdom in the middle of that. And the problem is just that. And if, if that's all we had, that would seem extremely hopeless. And now what do we do? But the clue to the solution, in my opinion, is that wisdom is personified here. And when you read back over that and you see, oh, wait, there's a similarity here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among you begin to see that the reason that the writers of that 80s Christian worship song, Lord, you are more precious than silver, comparing Jesus to wisdom is because Jesus was wisdom. That of all the what of wisdom, that he didn't give us a thing, he gave us a who. 
If you're looking for an airtight argument for the existence of God, he gave us an airtight person. And in those situations, I'm raising four kids right now. And I've got situations where when I've got one child, I, I can handle this way, but another child, I can handle this way. If you're honest, how many of you know that you're, you can't, each one of your kids are unique and speaking to them in the same way is foolish. My daughter, Ashley, who was a junior at Summit High School this year when she was little, I could look at her sideways, probably still, and she would fold like a napkin. She just was so compliant and so, and then Lauren came. And if you know Lauren, she's got festive hair, always. <laughs> she's attempting to get every color from the Fruity Pebbles box before this year is over. So we've got blue and orange, and I guess, we're, I guess next is brown. But, but when she was little, and I love Lauren so much because I love her creativity and I love her spunk. And when she was two years old, three years old, you know how you kind of give them a little swat on the butt? And again, Ashley would weep. Lauren would, thank you, I'm all better now. which is not exactly the response you're looking for. Because kids are different. And wisdom says the way that I respond to one child might be different than the way that I respond to the other one, and it might be different from moment to moment. And what I need in those moments is not a what, I just need a who. We talked about fly fishing last week, which I spent in Montana, and... They, they, in the parking lot, they said, okay, here's what you do. You got to cast like this and whatever. And next thing I know, I'm on the boat. And I don't know. Come here from Sikkim. I don't know what I'm doing. Until these two old guys come floating by in the river. And they're fly fishing. And I mean, they are getting it. And they taught me some things. And they showed me some things. And I didn't learn it from hearing it. I learned from seeing it. And next week, the third week of just talking about wisdom, I'm going to show you a couple things that I think are just super practical about this. We're going to come down from 32,000 feet until the ground level. But when I look at the life of Jesus and see how he lived and see how he responded, and so I can say that wisdom is a who and not a what. And in those moments of learning how to handle this or that or the other, I can, I can learn from older folks who've been there before. I can learn from some of you that have more experience. Absolutely, we're going to talk about that. But what I'm holding on to is that Jesus was the only sage in history that didn't say, live like this, and then this will happen. He said, I'm going to live like this. I'm going to live like you were supposed to. I'm going to die like you should have in your place so that you can just follow me. Do as I do, say as I say. And in those moments of every day, the wisdom that didn't come, I promise, hanging on to the person of wisdom, not the promise of wisdom. I think this, and we're gonna end with this thought, do what you know and you will know what to do. Do what you know and you'll know what to do. Because you that have been paralyzed, I don't know, should I do this, do that? If you've been hanging on to Jesus and just, just do, make a decision, paint or get off the ladder. God will redeem it if it was wrong. If it was, but hanging on to Jesus, the person of wisdom, I think puts you in a position to do what you know and you'll know what to do. And we'll talk next week about what that might look like 
In the meantime, if you want to hear somebody say it way better than I can, Andy Stanley's Your Move podcast. There's four How to Make Good Decisions, four 20-minute messages. Load those up this week. You'll be thankful for them later. Stand to your feet with me. Jesus was wisdom to you. He was wisdom for you. And he's wisdom with you. And in those moments, I'm not saying get on your knees and beg God, please tell me what to do. Please tell me what to do. Please tell me what to do. Might I encourage you to do it differently and say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do. We talked about it last week, but that's Romans 12. It's the I don't care prayer. God, I don't care. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Pray that every day this week. And here's the, here, I'll tell you this. I'm going to give you a little clue. If you're lying, he actually knows. <laughs> but why is it faith when you're talking about like the faith of such a man should not ask if he's double-minded in faith is because that Faith is just trusting that he's going to give me what I need, when I need it, how I need it. That's faith. That's real faith. Faith, Jason Cruz and I were talking this morning that it's not that I'm testing out his will. I'm saying I'm faith that whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. He's not going to let us just test it out and then see if I want it or not. If I trust him implicitly, he's going to give it to me because he knows it's going to be better. And that's my faith is trusting that he actually knows more than I do. So why don't we this week just try that prayer? to in, uh, encounter wisdom as a person of Jesus himself. Jesus was wisdom to you, for you, and he'll be wisdom with you. Let's pray. Father, I'm confident that in this room there are those who need to make decisions right now. The decisions are flying at them. I pray that they will encounter you. God, will you introduce yourself to them personally? Jesus, will you make your life, your ways known to them implicitly? That when we encounter this week, today, this afternoon, in the next 10 minutes, a situation that requires a decision or a choice that the rules don't apply to, would you give us wisdom to make that decision and faith that you're gonna take care of us in it. Thank you so much for, I know I've lived it, and I know there are many in this room that are living and have lived it as well. Thank you for your generosity and for your gift of wisdom and guidance to us. It's in your name that we pray, amen.